0: Good morning ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this edition of the Players NIL podcast. It's a playbook for NIL, making NIL relatable and attainable for all. My guest today is Jeff Cravens from the great state of Georgia and the great city of Atlanta. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on Mark, really appreciate it. Well, I'm excited to learn about your career and what you're working on, but as always in the podcast, we go back to the beginning and I use two words. One is sports and one is athletics. To me, sports is the fandom part. You know, maybe the first game you went to, first athlete you admired on television or the radio, grandma, grandpa, you know, had a jersey hanging in the closet, something like that. And then athletics, if you did participate in athletics, what that journey was like and how it got to to, through the early stages of your life. So we'll start with the first question. Tell me about your relationship with sports back in the old days. Yep, I
1: grew up uh, in a small town in Kansas, um, listened to sports on the radio mostly. There was not, uh, in my era, which was a, obviously an ancient era, there wasn't a ton of sports on TV. Um, my uh, I played basketball uh, all the way through high school, and uh, my the athlete that I admired most was uh, Julius Irving at the time. I don't know how I got fascinated with the uh, ABA, but I did. And... Um, even made the trip, uh, a trip over to St. Louis to watch. I think I was one of two dozen people that was in the arena watching the spirit of St. Louis take on the, the, the nets. But, uh, uh, that really kind of, I grew up, um, almost immersed in sports, uh, either playing, reading, following box scores, et cetera. It just was, has always been in my blood and, um, uh, and I really enjoyed playing. Um, and then I realized my senior year that um, I probably, it was probably time for me to look uh, for something else to do besides play uh, since I, I've been very, extremely lucky in the gene pool, but not in uh, athletic uh, talent.
0: Good. Well, you're speaking to the choir here. I grew up on Long Island in New York. We're up probably the same vintage. And for me, it was Mets, Jets, and Nets back in those days. And I was there in those ABA days at the Nassau Coliseum. What was it about Julius Serving that captivated you? Uh, I think,
1: you know, in those days, if you started to follow it at all, you kept hearing about this guy that did stuff that no one else was doing. And, And it was fascinating. And, you know, there was no, you couldn't see highlights. You couldn't see anything. So, it was just fascinating. And then when I actually got the chance to meet him, when we went to the Nets game, guy couldn't have been nicer, uh, really painted, uh, a different picture than I, I think what most pro sports is, but he was, was first class. The whole organization was first class, spent time with all those players at the team hotel. It was, it was unbelievable. Just kind of made my experience.
0: I just read a article about the coach, Kevin Lockery and, uh, I remember he was a dynamic and a charismatic coach, which to me was interesting. Tell me about the coaches that you followed. Who did you admire? You grew up in Kansas, you said, right? Yeah. I mean, it's the it's the heart of basketball. Naismith, Fog Allen, all of these great historic figures in basketball, in particular. Any coaches in that early phase of your life?
1: Yeah, you know, probably the the two coaches that uh, had the most impact on me is when I went to Kansas and I I started working almost immediately on the student paper there. Uh, I had a chance to watch a lot of Kansas basketball practices, as uh, obviously, as I've worked at the games. And Larry Brown was such a profound coach and a basketball mind uh, that even to this day, um, it's crazy how much of a savant he is. Um, and he had a bunch of guys go through there. Uh, Greg Popovich uh, came through on a sabbatical and and ended up staying. Uh, Bill Self and John Calipari were GAs. I mean, it was just a, it was an unbelievable period there where a lot of great coaches came through. And then somebody who personally had a lot of impact on me was Mike Gottfried, who was the head football coach, uh, eventually went on to ESPN and, Coach Godfrey would just have really help me out. I was struggling with a decision on an internship, and he called. He goes, "Hey, I'll, I'll call. Let me call my old center." And he called it up, and the, it was the guy was a sports editor for the Dallas Morning News, which at the time was probably one of the best sports sections in the country. And although I was stunned, I somehow was able to stammer my way, my way through a good twenty minute conversation with the guy giving me career advice. It was awesome.
0: I love it, Larry Brown. Talk about ABA, right? He was part yeah. of that <clears throat> with the flared out bell bottom shoes, uh, pants, and the and the platform shoes. And I have this uh, this this thought that you know you can tell a great coach by his coaching tree or her coaching tree. And I happen to know Larry Brown's coaching tree. And thank you for mentioning all those names. It was great. And uh, he's made a profound influence on a lot of people. I think Allen Iverson would come around and tell you he was one of the best coaches he ever had. Right?
1: Oh yeah. Not maybe not when he was playing under him, but a- afterwards he realized what how how good
0: they had it. So you have this fascination for sports. You love basketball. You're from Kansas. You go to college. You're not an athlete, but you're still connected. Tell me about your career and how athletics has played a part in your career.
1: Yeah, my uh, as my wife tells me, I've never uh, worked a day in my life because I've always worked in and around sports um and so i really enjoyed it i started out at after college i was going to be a reporter uh, went to the st Pete times worked in the clearwater bureau uh went and was able to cover uh among other things uh major league baseball spring training and um started to wonder if that was really my career uh the guy running the sports information office at kansas uh he had always told me i guess i think your personality is more fit for athletic administration than being a reporter and so i took him up on it went back to my alma mater and worked in sports information where i i had probably the most enjoyable professional experience i could imagine uh and i was making zero money working 80 hours a week and loved every minute of it um from there um right after we won the national championship in 1988, I took a job with the U S Olympic committee. Didn't really know anything about the Olympics and ended up spending almost six years in Colorado Springs. Uh, got to go to three or four Olympic games there. Um, really had a great, you know, great, met phenomenal people. Uh, it was really a great time. Uh, had the pleasure to work for a guy named Harvey Schiller, who was the commissioner of the Southeastern conference and then became the executive director there. And, uh, was really a great time there from there I, I i took the hardest job i've ever had in my life which was i managed the olympic torch relay for the atlanta games and um it, it was it was a challenge because we had probably about fifteen thousand people run with the torch across the country mm-hmm. and uh, nobody had email nobody had cell phones uh, communication was a challenge uh, but we somehow got through it um, and then From there, I I started working at Turner and that's where I I moved into digital, more of the digital business. Um, I've run, uh, I've worked for big media companies, uh, Turner, Sports. Uh, I ran broadband video for what they used to call broadband video, which is now streaming at ESPN uh, for a period of time. I did a couple, I've done a couple of startups. One was a high school recruiting platform called Be Recruited, uh, which uh, we grew to about two million active users. And. College coaches. And I really, that's when I really got into the business and outside of just uh, uh, working on the media side. Um, and uh, then I, I did some work with uh, NBC Sports, a lot of work at Golf Channel, even though I'm not a golfer and I don't really follow golf, but uh, I did a lot of uh, work on the b- digital business there. And now I work it on three. So it's, uh, I don't know that I've had a uh, necessarily a very linear. Uh, career path, but uh, it's been a lot of fun and, uh, and I've been very fortunate. So it's uh, got great
0: experiences
1: and met a lot of great people.
0: I didn't plan on asking this question, but it just begs the question. What's the common theme in all your jobs? What did you learn? What made you successful?
1: Uh, I think one of the biggest traits uh, that I think uh, is maybe one of my strengths is, uh, is listening. I think when you listen, you can learn a lot. And I've been fortunate enough to be around people that I've been able to take bits and pieces of learning that I've done with almost anybody that I've dealt with. And uh, it's really uh, served me well. Um, I think uh, too many people feel like they have to make an impression and, and really focus more on what they're going to say than what the other person's saying. And I think that that's probably the biggest thing that I've learned is I've been able to take away a lot from a lot of different people and, you know, in general, people that work in sports, they're, they're really great people. There's a lot of great people there. I have lifelong friends at each stop that I've ever been.
0: You're at On3 now. Tell us about On3 and tell us about your job specifically. What do you work on?
1: Yeah, so uh, On3 is uh, started by Shannon Terry. For people familiar with the recruiting space, he he founded Rivals and sold it. He founded 24-7 and, and sold it. On3 is more of a... Uh, Uh, lifelong passion for Shannon. And he wanted to do something more than just uh, the recruiting business. So I've known Shannon for 20 years, we spent time trying to figure out, you know, when we could do something together. And he started on three at almost the exact same time that NIL started. And uh, so he started collecting a lot of data around NIL, and figuring out how to collect, uh, continue to collect data. And came to me and said hey i, I think there's a, a a business here that's kind of a, a separate business from our media business around uh, data and analytics uh probably focused a lot on nil um and i think we can un- un- unlock and really serve the athlete here as well as serve the overall community and so um I came on board, and that's what we're trying to figure out: is how do we take all this data that we have and provide the right kind of access to athletes as well as the community in general to kind of help uh, make sense of uh, of a marketplace that was born, you know, it shouldn't have been, but it was just born out of nowhere with no real guardrails. And I think what you're seeing is now the business is starting to mature in a way that. Um, Uh, economics always lead to. And I think uh, you're starting to see some real interesting things happen.
0: Tell me what surprised you most in the first 22 months of NIL.
1: Um, Probably the thing that surprised me most, uh, and I continue to be just shocked at is, you know, the NCAA had almost 10 years to prepare for NIL. Uh, They knew from the court decisions, going back to the O'Bannon case, that they should have, you know, they should have tried to figure out a structure to transition into. Um, and they just, they never did. And so, um, I think it has opened up a lot of opportunities for athletes. Uh, not all of it has been positive, but I think overall, when you look at the thing at the Mac, at the marketplace in a macro level, it is in a positive direction. And I think, uh, we're still, we still have a lot of growth that we're going to see in the NIL marketplace in terms of people understanding what their name, image, and likeness is, what the value of that is, uh, how they should be thinking about that, and really kind of how this is going to lead to a whole different model in college athletics.
0: Yeah, we could probably talk about the NCAA forever. We could talk about, you know, whether it's good or bad. I always tell people I'm not arbiter on whether nil is right or wrong but it is here our company is focused on empowering athletes with educational tools to take advantage of that as we talked in our warm-up we're about life skills you know the players nil is about teaching kids and creating opportunities for the majority of kids we know the very small percentage are going to play professionally but the rest of them they're going to get a job in real estate or medicine or They're going to be in insurance. They're going to be in pharmaceutical sales. They're going to be in broadcasting. They're going to be in media. What do you think the NIL world will look like a year, three years from now? And do you think that student athletes will figure out how to use this to propel them to a new career or better life opportunities? What's your feeling on that?
1: Yeah, I think we're already seeing that really in the NIL. I think uh, it has really encouraged those that have a passion about entrepreneurship or just want to learn about business. I think that's been one of the number one things that's come out of NIL is that the athletes who are interested in it and want to engage in it. uh, It's helped them understand what that world is like and that it's not easy uh, necessarily. And that their brand, um, you know, you hear the NFL NFL and NBA players talking about their personal brand, but for, a college athlete—it's really, to me, about their personal brand, almost, and how they're ref- they're showing themselves in the professional world, not professional sports world, but in whatever they choose to pursue. And so, I think you you, you learn lessons there. Um, you make some mistakes, but that's what being in college and get and your young professional career is about: take chances, uh, make some mistakes, learn from them and move on and i think that that's probably the empowerment of uh teaching real world business acumen to uh athletes uh in whether that be how they have to handle their finances to you know bait contract basics uh things that i had to learn um on the fly along the way in my professional career they're able to really kind of get exposure and learn that and and i think that's the number one positive uh you know money and, and everything is, is great. And, you know, I know how much even, uh, 50 bucks in college uh, meant for me, but, uh, you know, I think that, you know, the money and stuff is, is almost secondary to the life skills that, um, you're enabling athletes, uh, by allowing them to explore things like name, image, and likeness. And then the other thing that I think, um, Really, that this is unlocked is there's a lot of power in college athletes, particularly regionally and locally, where they can do a lot of good uh, with working with businesses. And you know, there was a lot of things that I think uh, athletes in a past era wanted to do to help out, but but couldn't because of the restrictions. And I think that uh, this is one area where I see a lot of athletes using their name, image, and likeness in a way that's really positive uh, for them and their community.
0: Well, I would, uh, I would say that you're a spokesperson for the players and i with all those great comments, cause it's exactly what we talk about. And I do believe it, you know, as a student athlete, you talk about money. I think my field house job paid me minimum wage, which in 1980 and 81 was probably about $2 an hour. Right. So, yeah. um, life has changed, but you know what? Life has changed in a good way too. And it's created opportunities. So, um, before we get to the advice section, just tell our audience where they can follow you, where they can learn more about On Three. It's a chance for you to shamelessly plug yourself and your company.
1: Yeah, I think uh, on uh, the if you are interested in NIL and really want to follow what's going on, we have a couple. Uh, we have a, a great Twitter handle On Three NIL uh, that you can find on Twitter. Uh, our sports business and NIL uh, content is all aggregated um, under a web address on3os.com and um, finally we have a we just launched a newsletter that uh, we've got <laughs> really strong positive response from from a lot of different types of people that kind of aggregates nil news um, uh, some of it's uh, legal some of it's marketing uh, what brands are looking for etc and um, that's a, a newsletter that comes out three times a week that uh, we just launched uh, this past week so uh we're trying to get out we we have a full-time staff of people who cover the nil marketplace um and we're trying to get that information out to as many people as possible because i think you know the big thing is you know i I just saw a a survey i was just talking to a guy about a survey and you know over 60 percent of college athletes don't really have any kind of understanding what nil is they've just heard nil and and money
0: that's it yeah uh, that's good. I think your company does a great job. And I, as an NIL news junkie, I will tell you that I read as much as I can. And I read on three's publications digitally all the time. Last question, last part, Jeff Cravens, high school senior, you get a chance to go back and give yourself advice, career advice, life advice. What's your advice channel look like?
1: Um, I think, you know, the advice that I would have given give myself at 18 is you, um, you know, I, the stuff that I was not interested in in college, uh, the classes, uh, I didn't get nearly enough out of them as I should. And uh, I look back and I probably, you know, should have taken a different path, uh, uh, more business oriented, just to learn some fundamentals that I had to learn on the fly, uh, which made life a little bit harder for me early on. Um, and I think that goes back to my whole thing is, you know, I don't know that I listened very well when I was 18, uh, but I learned the importance of that, uh, and really have used that to, uh, advance my career probably faster than maybe I would have because I I did take an unconventional uh, career path, but I was able to listen and assimilate that information. And, you know, that's one thing that I see sometimes is people just, uh, aren't, uh, they think when you're talking to them that you're trying to tell them what to do and you're just trying to offer advice. And if they want it, that's fine. If they don't want it. And I think too many people just say, well, you know, what's this old guy know? Maybe that is true. I mean, my kids certainly don't listen to me, but uh, you know, I am I also live into the axiom that an expert is anybody who doesn't live in your house, uh, which is, <laughs> I think what, uh, what most kids do, but that's, uh, I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, understand that you can get, a lot of value that can help you in your life uh, from unexpected people and experiences. And to take advantage of that by really, you know, listening and not worrying about what's on your device and and really engaging in conversation. I think that that's something that can really help people uh, moving forward.
0: It's great advice. Thank you for that. And I once worked with six and seven-year-olds in an athletic form, and I had to tell a young girl one time that every time she opened her mouth, her ears closed. <laughs> <laughs> and she you could see her, she was off by the side, trying to figure yeah. it out, but, but it was the same message. So, Jeff, you're a great guest. Uh, I appreciate you sharing your journey. Uh, congratulations on an amazing career. And I think your wife is right. You know, you're lucky, probably, you enjoyed every one of those jobs and I think our audience would probably look and say they would take any one of those jobs and those experiences. We wish you well with ON3. We thank you for all of your contributions to the NIL space and wish you nothing but luck with ON3 and the rest of your career.
1: Thanks, Mark. I really appreciate it. Enjoyed, uh enjoyed the, the conversation.
0: Awesome. Have a great day.